Well, I want to say something about this song here, Joy to the World. Bob made the comment, didn't know why we couldn't just sing that song year-round. This song was written by Isaac Watts, if you noticed it in your hymn book, and he did not write this to be a Christmas Christmas hymn. It was intended to be sung year-round or any time that believers met. And if you'll notice the lyrics closely, you'll notice that it's uh, an amillennial song. It's joy to the world. It says, let earth receive her king. and Let every heart rejoice, or let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And I just wanted to point that out. You know, I have no qualms or problems whatsoever with singing those songs because we know what we believe. Uh, and we enjoy them, but I just thought it was interesting to know that, that uh, it really was meant to be a year-round song to be sung, uh, not just at Christmas, but it took on, I don't know where or how the history went. I read it one time, but how it came about that the history developed that it became associated with Christmas time and so forth. But it has, and so no problem there. All right, I got a letter from Alan Brooks. Alan's getting ready to go back to... Um, <clears throat> the island of Neos in January to finish the distribution of the Bibles. You remember that when he got over there, well, they thought they had bought all the Bibles they needed, but when they got over there, they found out there were several thousand students yet that were not taken into consideration. So he had to come back and raise more money, which we contributed to that as well. So... Um, They've got the Bibles all printed, and he's got uh, some guys that are going to go with him in January. And he sent a letter here, and I'll post it on the board, but he's calling for some prayer partners, people who would specifically commit to praying for this trip during the whole month of January, from January 1st to January 31st. Now, they're not going to be there the entire month, but he's asking for focused prayer during that month, and Lord willing, I hopefully next week I'll bring a special prayer card that he printed up just for that one month, so it's not a long-term commitment, it's this month of January to pray for this specific Bible distribution project, and I think it'd be worthwhile for us as a church to uh, collect ourselves together and, and each one of us praying that entire month for that project, and as much as you know, financially at least, we have a very large investment in that uh, project. And there's a, I forget, I think it was, was it, hmm, was it 48,000 kids, I think, all together on the island that would be receiving a Bible. That's a lot of lives to be touched and a lot of families because a lot of families will end up reading those Bibles. And the interesting thing that, you know, and that was, I think, three grades. So you think about that. Three more years, there'll be another three. Another three grades represented there. So, it, and of course, I'm sure some of those are brothers and sisters of others. So, you know, at least those families will have one Bible to share amongst their family. And I think it's a very, very worthwhile project that we've gotten involved with and I would hate to see it falter uh, because of prayer. 
the money's there, the Bibles are printed, they got what they need. And so I'll, I'll bring that up again next week, and I'll do my best to remember to bring those prayer cards with me <coughs> and, and hand those out. Okay, and then we need to have a little meeting after church uh, to discuss a couple things here. Um, just some little, I don't know if you want to call it business or not, I guess it is business to take care of. I do appreciate the Christmas gift. It's, uh, that's a, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I, I enjoy, I, I got a feeling I enjoy you more than you enjoy me. At least I like to think so. I, I love coming here, and I, and I love being around you. And I, and I really, I've told you this before, so I'm just going to say it again. I enjoy meetings like we had last night, like Jerry mentioned. We didn't do anything special. Just sat around and enjoyed one another's company and talked and, and ate. And some went back and ate again and ate again. Yeah, I did. I, I went two times. <laughs> so... Anyway, from the, we, we deeply, deeply appreciate what you do for us. It's, to me, it's beyond measure and beyond anything I could ever have thought that I would ever deserve. Uh, so I don't even know how to express it, so I'm mumbling around here trying to do it, so I'm going to stop and, and, and go on. Okay, I wanted to look in the New Testament last, two weeks ago. Of course, I was out last week, had a cold and a cough, and I'll probably end up this morning coughing through. I haven't got rid of it yet. It seems like the cold part maybe I've gotten through that, but the cough just keeps hanging on and hanging on. And so uh, I'm working my way through that. So two weeks ago, we talked about the words choose, chose, and chosen in the Old Testament. And we talked about the matter of how this word is used, that God chooses, that God chose Israel in particular, was a standout. There are many verses in the Old Testament that talk about God's choosing of Israel. And it's important for us to understand that it's choosing out of the many nations of the earth. God chose that people. He chose to reveal himself through them, and to make himself known to the nations of the earth through this one particular nation. And then, of course, we notice some other incidental uses, more what we would call the, the human side of choosing, that the same word is used <coughs> excuse me, of men simply making a choice when we choose to do something. And involved with that was the matter of the word preference and that we would choose or select out of a larger group, whatever it is we're choosing. And so choosing and, and, and a matter, the matter of being the chosen has to do with God or man making a choice for something out of a larger group but he didn't choose all, chose some, or maybe chose a few. I want to carry that over to the New Testament this morning. I by no means will ever exhaust it, but just look at a few salient points, and um, hopefully through that, value 
what God has chosen in respect to us, to me as an individual. Because when you come to the New Testament, we don't see the, as far as at least from God's side, <coughs> where he chose large groups, he chose a nation. But here, he chooses individuals. He chooses people more than, than the emphasis is more on individuals rather than groups of people. And so I want us to see that here this morning. Now, um, I get myself around here where I'm supposed to be. Um, you know, some of the words used in here, was, well, I mentioned this one was the matter of preference. One definition, or maybe it was two, I don't remember now, gave the implication or the thought that implied with this idea of, uh, uh, of preference was um, something along akin to the idea of favor um, behind that. Seeing something. Now, in some cases, God saw nothing. I mean, at least as far as we can see revealed in the scriptures, he simply chose. But in other cases, he chose for a purpose or for a reason. One of these as far as now in the New Testament, I want us to look at a few verses here that have to do with men choosing things. And well, it's all, all these are going to be the same word. Look in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, if you would. Acts chapter 6. <coughs> and verse 5. And it says there, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and uh, Timon, Timon, rather, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And we remember that in Acts chapter 6, of course, this records for us the, the first deacons that were chosen, and here amongst this larger group that involved the church, there were chosen these select group of men here who would uh, re assume the responsibilities of serving and ministering so that the disciples could be free to, uh, the apostles, they could be free to uh, do that which God had called them to do, and that was to preach and to pray. Then if you turn to Acts chapter 15. And verse 25. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 25. And there it says. It seemed good unto us. Being assembled with one accord. To send chosen men unto you with our beloved brother or our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Now here, it was not a choosing of one man, but a certain men. And these references that I'm giving you, all of these here, are in middle voice. Middle voice means when I choose something with respect to myself, it, it 
benefits me in some way. I make the choice. If you'll look at verse 40 in the same chapter, (coughs) verse 40 says, Paul chose Silas. He made a choice. Silas over Mark. And so Paul chose Silas, and he departed, being commended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Middle voice again. Now, it's very difficult. New Testament is a little more difficult than the Old Testament to put all these things together. And I know my wife and my kids, they all say, we like it better when you do an exposition of a passage. And quite frankly, I enjoy that more myself. But you know, when you're doing an exposition of a passage and you come along to key words, and you need to explain how those words are used, then you need to do a side. You know, you need to run off to the side here and ask yourself, well, how is that word being used? What did it mean here in this passage? In other words, how am I going to give an exposition of it if I don't understand or know how it's used in the rest of the Bible, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And so sometimes it pays, and it pays well, to examine words, and you have to jump all over the Scriptures to find out, well, how were they used in this passage, and what context was was, uh, it being used in, so that we can gather together what, what... Theologians or students call a semantic range. And a semantic range simply means, well, I should put it this way, because in a dictionary, when you open your dictionary, whether it's a Bible dictionary or whether it's Merriam-Webster's, you're going to come across some words that are going to have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and more sometimes meanings to a word depending on the context. That is the semantic range. How many different ways is a particular word used? And so that's a part of what we're trying to accomplish here this morning, is determining in what ways this word here, choose, chosen, uh, chose. But you have to look at some other words then as well. So you can see that it can get quite complicated, and I'm going to <clears throat> I'm going to attempt not to do that. I'm going to uh, try to tie some things together, though, so that we see what the implications of being chosen are. <clears throat> Having said that, go back to Matthew chapter 20 now. Matthew 20, you have one of the three passages where outer darkness is used in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the middle one. Of course, it's not, these words in verse 16 are not mentioned in chapter 8 where, where you have the first use of, of outer darkness. <coughs> but nonetheless... Verse 16 says, So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. 
And so here, I think we see the idea of this choosing, that it's a choosing out of a larger group. And the larger group in the New Testament are, is described as those who are called. Many, he says, are called. But he doesn't say all are called. Many are called. But only a few are actually chosen. And then if you turn to chapter 25, which is the other use of outer darkness, and in that in that uh, parable of the talents, one of the driving home teaching points that the Lord uses in both of these parables is that many are called but few be chosen. I said Matthew 25. It's supposed to be Matthew 22. I'm sorry. Matthew 22. And verse 14. <clears throat> this is the middle one. The passage I gave you before had to do with... <laughs> had to do with uh, the Lord calling the servants. Uh, That was Matthew 20. This is the middle one here. Matthew 22. He ends this passage here, this parable, by saying, For many are called, but few are chosen. Of course, this is in relationship to to the wedding banquet. And the many that are invited are called, and that's you could just as easily substitute the word invited there. Many are invited, and that's what the word called has to do with. Many are invited to the wedding banquet, but only a few will actually be chosen. And the one who came unprepared and being cast out into the outer darkness is an example for us of one who was not chosen. It was the few. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. These will be some familiar verses. In 1 Corinthians 1.26. <clears throat> and we'll see once again this connection of the word calling with the word chosen here. In verse 26 he says, for ye, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty you see your calling brethren how that not many wise not many mighty not many many noble And you see the idea of the few being implied here once again. 
And so when God chooses, he's giving us a contrast there. He doesn't choose the mighty, the noble, necessarily. He says a few, not many. But concerning the things that God chooses as a matter of preference, in the usual course of events, he chooses the weak things of the world so that he can confound the things that are mighty. I think that's really the same reason why in the parable of the rich young ruler, why he says there, when the rich young ruler turns and walks away because of his possessions, he says, you know, that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You talk about the mighty. He's talking about people of influence and power. And people have a tendency. If they have money, you use it to buy influence or to exercise power. And so he's, and, and I'm sure you could probably name as many people as I could, people you know that have a tendency to want to uh, flaunt their dollars or use them to buy them certain privileges. I was in a restaurant here. It's been a few years ago now with Seth and I went there to eat breakfast. And uh, I won't mention this fellow's name. But I knew who he was. And he was dressed to the hilt. I mean, all the way with monogram cuffs, you know, and and, uh, all this. And he pulls out, I mean, a wad of bills. It must have been, you know, about this big around, and just laid them on the table. Now, what do you suppose he was trying to do there? Was that to send a message? Was that to let them, you know, let everybody know, this is what I am, this is what I have? Now, um, I'm trying not to give away too much, but I've heard this person before. I went to a seminar where he was speaking. And, I mean, he didn't hesitate a bit to make mention of his monogram shirts and his Rolls Royce and other material things he owned. And he's Christian. And during the course of his breakfast, I I was trying hard. I shouldn't have, but I tried hard to hear what was going on. (laughs) But evidently, he was complaining to the owner of the restaurant about something. And I I really was proud of the guy because he evidently knew him pretty well himself, but he just stood his ground and he wouldn't give in to that guy. And I just thought, yes, right. (laughs) Because I I could tell what he was up to. He was just trying to buy him off. And, And it was probably, I'm assuming, over some petty thing. I don't know. But it was a pretty plain and clear picture what was going on. And, you know, I'll just be frank with you. When the Lord says it's difficult for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God, that's the reason. This man, in the parable, could not give up 
his wealthy possessions. He says, when Jesus says, come follow me, he says he turned away from him for he had great possessions. And to give up your possessions meant to give up your power. To become as one of these weak things which God typically chooses. And so, we, we, we come to that point or that conclusion again that why God chooses the weak things of the world is because the mighty, the noble, have a very difficult time lowering themselves down and giving up the power that their money has. And too many let that control them. Now, I suppose if you're sitting here like most of us, you're thinking, I'm sure I don't don't have that problem (laughs) because I don't have that kind of money. And I don't want to. I I would scare me to death if I had that kind of money and I began to buy people off and use it to influence people. Um, I've been, I, I was out to eat in a restaurant with another fellow, Kingdom Believer. You know, and, and more than once, actually, this has happened, where he would, he would uh, lay a dollar out there for the waitress at the beginning of our meal, or when we were, before we'd even taken an order, in order to try to get her to you know, speed up the things and put us in front of somebody else. It's embarrassing to me. But that's not the place. That's not the kind of thing that the Lord is talking about here. When he says he chose the weak things there in verse 27 and the foolish things in order that he might confound (coughs) the mighty. The mighty are the ones who, quite frankly, make the decisions for this world as far as man is concerned. And most of those are people of positions of power because their wealth bought them there. I just read the other day where Barack Obama raised almost three quarters of a billion dollars during this presidential campaign. And it makes you wonder, see? You have to ask yourself, did he, did he, was the election bought? Of course, we could say that about many, many campaigns and elections prior to this one. But I'm just simply pointing out the influence of the dollar and what it does to us. And, that, and this is only one example, by the way. It's one, one parable in the scriptures of what it means to seek after wealth, and use that to buy your influence, to buy your way through the world, to gain what you want or what you desire from what this world has to offer. And of course, you and I know that the admonition to us is not to seek the gain of this world, but the gain of the world to come. The gain which will far outsurpass anything the world has to offer us. Now, Looking at the next passage, many, he says, are called, but few are chosen. Did you notice when he called the disciples <coughs> in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18? I want us to see something here as well. 
In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus, he says, was walking by the seaside. Now, we're pretty familiar with that picture uh, in the Gospels. The Lord ministered quite frequently around the Sea of Galilee. And it says there, he saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's no emphasis on the choosing here yet. Then, uh, in verse uh, 20, he says, And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And of course, <coughs> it was the same case with all 12 of the disciples. The Lord called unto them to come follow him. And they left what they were doing and they went and followed him. Now, Luke chapter 6, verse 13. Luke chapter 6 and verse 13 just gives us a little another piece of information regarding this issue of calling. Because it says there, and when it was day, he called unto his disciples. And of them... He chose 12, whom he also named apostles. You see, there was a larger group of disciples from which the Lord chose disciples. And he chose them for a particular purpose and a particular ministry. And these, of course, they spent their time with the Lord. And you know, remember, he said, I have... You know, don't you forget, remember, I have chosen you. I don't know if I got that verse down here, but he says, I've chosen all 12 of you, and yet one of you is a devil. You know, God chooses not always the things that we or the people that we would expect. He chooses some people to reveal himself for certain purposes. In John chapter 6, verse 70, that's, that's, we're in Luke chapter 6, in John chapter 6, in verse 70. <clears throat> this is where we get this verse. Jesus answered them and said, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Turn with me to chapter six, 15, rather. Chapter 15 of John and verse 16. Now, all of these passages, of course, we, we want to you know, look at the very contexts and varied uses and try to pull something together here with this. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And by the way, that's middle voice there. This is the Lord doing the choosing, and it was choosing for purposes to himself. 
He says, I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And you won't need to turn to these because we've looked at these already, but in Matthew 20, 16, you remember about many are called, the three passages we looked at earlier, many are called, but few, he says, are chosen. With that in mind, turn to Second Timothy chapter 1. I think I want Second Timothy. Yeah, Second Timothy chapter 1. Oh, I forgot. Never mind. Another passage I forgot to put down in the Need to get that one. Let's see if it's. I don't know if my. Um, mm, no. No. No, my. Well, isn't that a shame? One of my key passages I wanted to use, a verse in the book of Revelation. <laughs> oh, and I can't recall the verse. That's about the few and the chosen, or the called and the chosen. Anybody remember where that's at? You can help me out if we look to that. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, I wanted us to note there what Paul says to Timothy. <coughs> now, we should look at verse 8 as well. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, or before the ages of time began. I know some translations put before times eternal, um, which makes no sense at all. But be, but it's before the ages of time, before God began or man began to be able to measure time and count time. He says that He had saved us and called us within holy calling. And notice there that the saving comes before the calling. Now, if you pick up fifteen or twenty systematic theology books. And you were to turn to the chapters where um, election and choosing and calling are discussed, you would invariably come across the idea that the calling comes first and that the calling has to do with the calling to salvation. But Paul makes it very clear in this passage here that the saving comes first and the calling comes afterwards. And so what does that do then? That makes calling a family matter. It makes it an issue of those who belong to the family of God. So from that larger body of the saved, many, he says, are called. And then from that 
body of those who are called. And Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 calls it our heavenly calling. Those who have been called to participate in the heavenly calling. A few, he says, are chosen. Many are called, but a few are chosen. Anybody find my Revelation passage? 17.4. That sounds right. Okay. Let's just take a look there. Only got two passages to look at, and I think we'll be done here. Yeah. And you'll see the order there. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of hosts and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And here we see um, the word faithful added to or in connection with. And of course, a simple reading of the New Testament we would find that amongst those who are the called is a command or a demand to be faithful. And if we are not, though we may be among the called, we may not be amongst those who are the chosen. With that, I want to end with one passage here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. And let's take a look at that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, all the way back to... The words of the Lord Jesus Christ at the close. (coughs) He's bringing to a close here his sermon that he preached on this mountain with the disciples. And in this sermon, he's presenting to them the outline, prescribed rules and laws for entering into the kingdom. And in verse 13... Matthew 7, verse 13, he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Many are taking the broad way. Well, I would take that to mean many of the called are taking the broad way. They've understood what the heavenly calling is. They have done what Jerry's been teaching on for several weeks now. And I don't, did you complete that on Hebrews 6? Still at it? Okay. In Hebrews 6, those who have tasted the word of God, partaken of the Holy Spirit, they've experienced the powers of the age to come. And then they fell away. That's the many. Many are falling away. Many are taking the broad road to to destruction. But in verse 14 he says, (coughs) Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto the life. If you're like me, I just took, wrote... The word the there, it's the life. And that makes it a particular and and specific life that he's talking about. If you turn back to chapter 5, when he begins his discussion, you'll find he's talking about the kingdom. As a matter of fact, let's just do it for just a moment. 
Look at, look at actually at chapter 4. And look at verse, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 23, he says, it says there, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. <coughs> and now then, in chapter 5 and verse 1, it says he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and all of these things, the, verse, the very first verse, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, that's the difference between the rich that we were talking about earlier, being unwilling or unable to give up, the power that is associated with their money and actually become poor in spirit. Not impossible, but the Lord says a very difficult thing to do. Now, I used to ponder over that verse and think, yeah, I know, I've, I've seen and heard and know of lots and lots of rich people who've been saved. That was when I used to associate this whole passage with salvation. But then as I began to understand its relationship to the kingdom, then I understood what he was talking about, why it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom. It's not difficult for a rich man to be saved, but it is difficult for him to enter the kingdom. And so he's telling us there, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I said that only to say that that's the context in which the Lord is speaking when he comes to chapter 7 and verse 14, the verse we want to look at, when he says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto the life. You see, that's just what we would call a euphemism. It's just another way of expressing what the kingdom of the heaven is or the kingdom of God. It's the life. And he says here, and few there be that find it. Now, when you take all these things together, choose, chosen, called, few, you know, it, it, I hope that it, it, it drives home this thought that, you know, to enter the kingdom, to be a participant in the messianic rule has some narrow, stiff guidelines that have to be followed. He calls them narrow and straight. <coughs> and that word, um, let's see, which one is it? Narrow, in verse 14, when he says narrow is the way, it's a word that means to be hemmed in. There's not a lot of freedom. You may have heard me mention a few weeks ago, I mentioned about, well, yeah, because Miss Mary sent me something on the email about it. Others may was the title of it. You cannot. You know, there are some things that others may do as a Christian, and we have no right to condemn them for it. But if we know 
what God has called us to do and called us to be as Christians, then we cannot do those things. There are certain things that you have to say, that's not for me to do, even though it may be for a fellow brother of mine to do. It's not for me. And only you and the Lord know what those things are. Now, he's given us a pretty broad outline in the Sermon on the Mount to explain what some of those things are. (coughs) And, And that's one value of reading through the Sermon on the Mount. That will tell us the kind of character, the kind of spirit, the kind of demeanor, the kind of devotion that the Lord is calling for from his disciples. He describes for us in pretty good detail in some cases. But in other cases, it's kind of broad. Uh, Take Paul's words in um, Colossians chapter 3, where he just says, set your heart on things above. You know, that's a pretty broad term. What does it mean to set my heart on things above? How do I do that? What do I leave... You know, what am am I to include in that and what am I to leave out? All of my affections for the one who is called to be a disciple and is seeking that heavenly calling is to have all of his affections set on the things above. That's where the life is, the life that we're seeking, the life that we desire. And so I say those things, that during a season like this, and of course, it almost becomes um, I don't want to say worthless. It almost becomes um, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, so I'll just tell you what I'm thinking of here. In years past, you know, we, we would often say, if, you know, it's during this Christmas season, it's really important for us to focus on Christ and not the material things. <clears throat> and I suppose to some degree that's still true. You know, our world has come to the point where really it's just a year-round thing anymore. Materialism is so pervasive and so gripping on our lives that really it's just a year-round thing. And it doesn't just grab us necessarily at Christmas time. And so this matter of the choose, choosing, God's choosing of us, his calling of us, and those whom he will select, those few, makes it very important that we understand that we can, so that we can do as Paul. Paul says, I beat myself. I don't, you know, I don't just shadow box. He says, I, I beat myself. I keep my body in subjection. Lest that after having run the race, he said, I myself, he said, should be disqualified. What does that tell us? That tells us that out of the many who are called, many will finish the race. <coughs> but they may finish disqualified and not make it. And Paul was fearful of that. I'm scared of that. Believe me, if Paul was, that bothers me. 
What am I doing in my life to make sure that I am running the race according to the rules so that when the race is over, I will have been qualified even though I finished it? And that's where we all want to be, isn't it? We all want to be there. We all want to be able to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. And that's going to be a great day indeed. And I trust I'll be there to enjoy it with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to pray. Thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to study it, to consider all that you have given us and revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the great love that you've shown to us in giving us your son, in giving us the gospel, and in giving us your word, enabling us to understand it and to comprehend its truths. I pray, Father, that in light of that, that we would earnestly desire to live our lives accordingly and that we might be well-pleasing unto you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.